0: At 2017, I think I just got tired of waiting, um, tired of planning, and I just figured, like, you know, why don't you just try it? The worst thing that could happen was um, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be great.
1: Welcome to a brand new episode of the A1 with Moi. My name is Moi Alarantaba, and this is a podcast all about unlocking purpose, abundance, and wealth in creative careers in Africa. And I'm so excited about today's guest because he was able to conceptualize something that literally impacted the economy of Ghana. I am excited to interview the co-founder of Africella, Abdul, about how he even had this idea in the first place, but also the courage to actually pursue it while still having a nine to five. He even invested his own money along with his co-founder, Kenny. And I'm really excited for you to hear this story because it truly just shows that if you're willing to continually pursue a dream, and work at it, great things can happen. So I'm not gonna take long with this intro today, but if you do enjoy this episode, let me know. Tag me on social media at moythea one Also subscribe, both on YouTube and on your podcast platform. You can actually watch a portion of this interview on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash the A1 with Moy. And let me know, I wanna know your thoughts on this incredible conversation with Abdul. So enjoy. Okay, so I'm gonna touch a little bit about your upbringing because I feel like it ties into everything in terms of throwing parties. Now, from the research that I've done, the earliest recollection of you throwing parties was from university. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, in college, I threw mostly house parties, um, but both Kenny and I are part of um, a fraternity called Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, and as a part of our social arm, sometimes we do throw parties. And uh, when I uh, when I crossed into the fraternity, um, I I was the second vice president. So part of my job was to be that social buddy, and, 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 and parties was probably one of my uh, one of my tasks to to throw. Uh, but not just parties, but other um, you know engaging social events. So one of the first programs I threw actually was a program on sexual health um, there's this uh, there was this uh, I guess they're a play troupe uh, so a group of people that get together and they put together these plays and they used to do a play called condom condom man and he basically <laughs> uh, you know gave a you know a satirical way of um, kind of educating people on um, sexual health so it was a pretty good uh, you know thing that we did and you know we've done concerts and things of that nature in college as well
1: yeah, so when do you think the bug hit you, like, or bit you rather, when do you think the bug bit you in terms of like, okay, I could do this on the regular, I like doing this, I'm good at this?
0: Yeah, you know, you know, not to toot to my home, I feel like uh, anything I put my mind to, I can do. Um, but I think that I, I felt a sense of accomplishment when I brought Condom Man to Syracuse because it was the first time that I had written a budget. It was the first time that I had booked talent and actually got them to, uh, to, to my school. I went to Syracuse University here in New York. Um, it was the first time that I, you know, organized a writer, did a run of show, those kind of things. And, uh, and it, was, it was something new. Uh, my chapter had never done that before. So it was the first time I, I thought like, wow, I could actually do this. And, um, and the rest is history. That's
1: actually quite cool to know that it wasn't even music related.
0: Yeah, it was- well, it, it kind of was music related. So they do, it's like a musical. I'm a big fan of musicals. Um, So uh, the play is kind of like a musical, but yeah, it wasn't like a concert um, outright. Uh, I've done, we did concerts in college. Like I brought Fabulous, Uh, we brought um, T-Pain, a few other artists as well to to school as well that I was a part of that planning process. But um, the first one I ever did was that play, right? That was the first thing I actually kind of, you know, wrote from budget, from ideation to budgeting to execution. It was the first time.
1: So, is that where you feel like you started equipping those skills in terms of like the back end, the logistics of actually putting together a huge event?
0: Yeah, I would say that um, that was my first major experience. But I think part of being in a fraternity gives you those uh, those skill sets, right? Uh, managing, understanding Robert's rules of order, um, understanding how to utilize your resources, and those kind of things. Um, we're all things that equip me to be able to kind of do those things as well. I'm also kind of like curious as well. So just kind of paying attention to people that are doing things that I enjoy or understanding how things that I enjoy came to be. Um, We're all part of, you know, I guess the sauce that created (laughs) what I was able to do.
1: Yeah, now some people would have let that die in university, like you graduated. I believe you studied public health.
0: Well, in college, I was a bio psych major Um, yeah, I was a biopsych major, I wanted to be a doctor, um, and when I got out of college, my master's is in public health. I'm still a big, I'm still big on science, I love science, I love healthcare, but music...
1: Are you still working in the sciences?
0: I work for a pharmaceutical company now, um, in addition to what I do for Avocello, which is crazy, but...
1: Which is crazy, that's crazy.
0: Yeah, but it's doable, um, it's doable, absolutely. Um, but, you know... My passion is my culture, the music, the art, the fashion, the food. So, um, although I love, you know, healthcare and understanding healthcare and policy, things of the nature, I love music, art, fashion, food, and I think that those are two things that I just I shouldn't have to give up. If I, you know, I, I can do both. Yeah.
1: Would you say just to touch on? Would you say like the pharmaceutical side is like your nine to five, and Afritella is like your side hustle, as you know, culture would say?
0: I think when I initially started, it was like that. It was definitely uh, my nine to five was the healthcare, and then Afrocella and everything that it had to do with Afrocella was my side hustle. But I think that right now I have maybe about three or four jobs (laughs) that I'm managing full time.
1: Well, you must be really good at, you know, timekeeping and time management.
0: Yeah, I consider myself a project manager. So, I mean, I guess being able to know when you have to apply pressure versus when you can pull back. Um, you know, there's a lot, you know, time management, understanding how to organize myself is very important. And then also just keeping track of everything that I have to do and making sure that I'm hitting timelines is all part of, um, you know, the, the process.
1: Yeah. All right. So you're working, right? You're done with uni, you're working and Afrochella becomes something of a discussion between you and Kenny in 2015. Is
0: that right yeah so initially I wanted to you know my parents own a restaurant here in New York that's called a crowd restaurant uh, we have a few um, you know stores here in New York and you know I my dad challenged me to do something around marketing because he saw like, two parties and he was like you know what can you do to get you know to reinvigorate our audience and our customer base and I wanted to do a food festival um, only because I, also I went on a date and um, I tried Ethiopian food for the first time, and I'm like, wow, I can't believe at the time, I don't know how, maybe seven years ago, I I just, there weren't that many food out of West Africa that I had tried. So I just felt like we needed a space where we could try each other's food. Um, So I started out trying to create a food festival called Our Native Tongue. And then I realized that it just can't be about food we need music we need the vibes we need we need certain things so I started putting together that concept and then I started to come to the consensus that you know in order for me to um, be able to kind of communicate what I'm trying to communicate, I need to understand that culture is a bit of each of these so the food the art the music the fashion when people have understanding of each of these components, they kind of have an understanding what the culture is so it continued to evolve, and then around 2017, you know, Kenny and I, we spoke, and I said, look, man, I've been trying to do this in New York for a while. It's pretty expensive. Let's try it in Ghana. Let's see if we can do it in Ghana. Let's see if we can make it work. There's no day events in Ghana right now that a lot of people, you know, are, are going to. Like, let's, let's let's figure out a way to do that. And, um, and Kenny was on board 100%, and, you know, we had about several months from the day he Agree to it to the date that we we actually executed it wow seven months
1: seven or eight months
0: i think it was in april yeah it was at middle of april we booked the venue for the first time i think right after we got off the call we booked the venue and then the planning began
1: okay let's let's break that down a little bit so firstly you said you've been you had been trying to make that to make something work break that down for me what exactly were you doing
0: so i was trying to kind of figure out you know what will it take to kind of throw this festival that i was planning this our native tongue i was planning in new york and you know when i looked at the production costs to the artist costs to everything that i had to do it was just too much of a big risk and also there were so many things i just didn't know yet so i figured all right cool i put together put together a deck for it and then you know i said well you know i'd give it another year maybe by then i gain more experience and then I'd be able to kind of, you know, have all the resources I need. So the next year I had done a few concerts. I think we did Stoneboy at Gramercy Theater, a few things I learned how to stage manage. I learned all the components of the things that I needed to do here in New York as well.
1: Um, because you were still throwing, because you were still throwing events this entire time.
0: Correct, I was still throwing events right uh so just kind of like putting myself through a mini internship so the next year i tried again and i said well still i still don't have some of the resources the following year was um was uh was 2017 and i still didn't have all the resources but i figured that you know in ghana i can afford it like i can actually pay this out of pocket not come out not be in debt too much you know what i mean um so you know
1: when you say resources is it strictly money or other
0: resources? Other resources. At this time, I don't think I had, you know, any direct major connections. I mean, I, I, was, I was always operating through third parties. So if I wanted to, to book an artist, I would have to connect with somebody who would connect with their manager. Um, uh, if I needed finances, I would have to kind of figure that out. I didn't know how to pretty much raise, you know, it's different from in college In college. You know, I was submitting a budget to an NSA and then they would, your student association and they'll pay me out. But this time I had to look for sponsors. I had to look for potential partners, seeing whether the government will be interested. Um, you know, I had to kind of talk to real contractors, people who, real, who do big productions and understanding their rates, pay them out. Um, I had to figure out each of the roles that we needed <laughs> within the festival. And it's funny now because it's funny that we knew we needed help, but we couldn't identify which areas um, or which type of people we needed to hire. So each year we kind of learn that. So it's funny now because in 2017, literally we just, you know, we know how to th- throw parties, but a festival is completely different. There's so many different components and blind spots that you have to kind of pay attention to.
1: And that's the thing because I don't think, well, I believe there's a number of people who have these grand ideas and they're like, you know what, I want to build this, I want to create this but to actually put it into motion, very few actually do it. And so that time of you calling people, trying to figure it out year after year, realizing not enough resources, what kept you going to just keep doing it? Because some people would have just said, you know what, I have a good thing going with parties. I'm able to do something here in New York. Let me just focus on that rather. What prompted you to just keep going for this festival that you wanted to do?
0: Everyone I pitched the idea to said it was a great idea. Every, you know everybody I pitched the idea to and and uh, you know it started with me feeling it right so as I started to put the idea together and I started to refine it, I started to feel like I had something here and then I did a bunch of research and I couldn't find anything similar around you know around what we were trying to do right what our mission was, what our goal was. I couldn't find anything similar, so I had the confidence. Now, you know, it's easy for people to say they like the idea. It's hard for people to actually support the idea in its infancy, right? Because it's still a risk. And I understood that. Um, So um, around the same time, also, I feel like Afrobeats was kind of bubbling in in New York. So it was something I always loved, right? So we were creating an Afrobeats scene in, in, in New York through another company that I'm a part of called Big Five Productions. And and people was like loving it. And at the same time, we were going to Ghana every year for Christmas holidays, just like everybody does. So we were kind of recording what we were doing in Ghana and also doing the events in, um, in America. So it was encouraging people to come back with us to Ghana. And this actually started kind of like a little bit before, you know, us bringing people to Ghana started a little bit before 2015, but yeah, people were going with us. So we knew that we were at the cusp of being able to create something. Um, but we just didn't know when it was gonna happen. At 2017, I think I just got tired of waiting, um, tired of planning and I just figured like, you know, why don't you just try it? The worst thing that could happen was um, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be great. Um, so what we did was we hinged our bet, right? So we called, we, at the time we called it a day party festival. So at the end of the day, it could be a day party. <laughs> so I not know how to throw parties, it was similar. It was similar. Um, But we have festival components because we had, you know, installations, we had music performers, uh, we had food vendors, we had everything that people needed to have um, to feel like they were in a festive space. So so that's how we were able to kind of hinge our bets. and, And from that experience, we learned so much.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, there's things like the Fire Festival that the entire world knows right now. So we know things can go incredibly wrong, but you were able to build something incredible. So 2017, you call Kenny, April time. You guys decide, you know what, we're doing this. A festival is no joke, money-wise, resources-wise. What? How did you guys actually come about? How were you able to put it together? You said that you were able to like book the venue at the same time day on the same day you decided with Kenny yeah. was that somebody's contact was that Kenny's contact how did that come about
0: well I actually always had a venue of mine in Accra so I actually told Kenny where to go where, where I wanted it to be and um, and he was like all right cool we'll just I'll just drive there and meet somebody we didn't know anybody there at the time to, to be honest we had our own money uh Kenny and I so we just kind of like seeded our idea together he believed in it you know so him and i were partners on a bunch of things so he you know we decided that we were just going to pay for it we we're going to fund it um and then we also hoped to get sponsorship so at the time you know we would just get up and say yeah we could get sponsorship hopefully we could get sponsorship and we had no idea how difficult it is to get sponsorship and, and what partnership means um and how how we can present ourselves to make it more comfortable for partners to support us so in that first year, I think we only had one partner, and it was Jameson, Bernard. Um and they came on last minute, but we made a lot of noise, right? So at the time, you know, in the first couple of months when we announced and, and tried to put together, you know, we did this visual that just kind of went crazy. Everybody loved it, and they just kind of appreciated the thoughts that we were trying to do, so it went viral. And when it went viral, you know, people started to buy tickets and we were surprised, right? Uh, we went for 2,500. Um, the day of, we had over 4,600 people in attendance um, and Jameson was there to support us in that first run. So, I mean, I'm always thankful for them for like taking a chance on us because that was definitely a chance that we took.
1: I mean, it was a chance that they took and I'm sure they're very happy with the results of it, but it was also a huge risk that you guys took funding that entire thing yourself
0: absolutely absolutely i mean but we planned properly right so we knew that we could throw a party like we weren't afraid of throwing a party in a crowd right so the reason why i said we had to target a target of 2500 was because we like we knew if we hit 2500 we will find profit because you know we calculated all we did all the calculations we did um you know what our risk was versus our reward we were cool with breaking even as long as we didn't lose and and that year we did not lose um so i'm pretty happy we actually have funds to start up 2018 from that event, so it was kind of like approved our concept. Um, you know, part of being the project manager, Kenny is an MBA, so we knew how to kind of like manage our money, and it was small enough at the time to be able to kind of manage and be able to see, you know, who we have to pay, uh, what resources do we need in order to make it um, to make it possible.
1: What was the biggest event you had planned prior? Like, how many people?
0: That was a. That's a great question. This uh, man, twenty seven. Maybe like we had at the t- yeah we had done a few events before that we had done. I did four thousand people in New York City at Stage Forty Eight. Yeah, so but that one was with a big team. It's a party. It's at a club. It's very different than just kind of taking a whole venue, decorating the venue, putting. But you back-
1: went so far to like. Knowing how to plan
0: something for four thousand people. Correct, correct, correct. Yeah. So we had the whole building for stage 48. Stage 48 is a venue in New York City, on 48th Street in Manhattan, and you know we had done a Ghana Independence that year that had about thirty-five to four thousand people. So we, you know, we had done some events. We did an all-white party at the same venue uh, that year that went crazy as well. So. Yeah, I mean, I've always been around people that had planned events since I was young. So I kind of had some sort of idea, but, you know, had some experience. Yeah.
1: Well, that's good. What was the hardest part of putting together your first, the first Africella?
0: Oh, yeah. I think the hardest part would be um, identifying team members that we needed. Uh, we knew we needed somebody who can book talent for us. We knew we needed somebody who could design the space. We knew we needed somebody who can create a stage. We knew we needed all of that. But, you know, building the team was, was pretty difficult. Um, you know, fundraising was very, very difficult. I mean, it's still difficult for me up until today. You know, it's still something that we still have to kind of fight for. Um, and also just kind of um, understanding how to like anticipate blind spots. These are things that I think anybody experience will teach you, right? Um, as long as you can pre- you can prepare as much as you can. But, you know, a lot of things you just have to learn through experience. Um, so, for instance, I think the first year, um, you know, in Africa, a lot of people like to come to events late. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, just kind of not, you know, not knowing how to. Uh, I think one of the things that we, we could have done better was we could have trained our staff better because some of the staff that we have we had hired who were vendors, a vendor that we had hired to kind of manage our VIP. The staff was so excited to watch the show that they, they had they had uh, you know moved away from paying attention to our guests. So that was an issue. Um, us kind of managing our VIP is still something that we're trying to kind of um, perfect. You know, putting a VIP space into you know, VIP tables into a festival was was you know different but it's still something very hard because people really do expect like club service so it's something that we've kind of like almost struggled with but you know we have been improving you know little by little and hopefully with the new implementations that we're making I think that will improve so I mean there have been struggles throughout the process because we're learning on the job right this is not something that we were professionals at doing but we knew that we had a concept we wanted a message we had a message that we wanted to put out there We wanted to get, you know, people within the diaspora in one space, sharing ideas, sharing thoughts, showcasing creativity, you know, um, and celebrating us and our culture. So we, you know, that's where our mind was at, but, you know, perfecting it is something that, you know, uh, it's our goal and we continue to do, yeah.
1: Yeah. Was there any time that you were like, you know what, I might have to pack this up. We might not actually put this out. That was it,
0: 2019. 2019? Yeah, yeah. 2019 2019. Like,
1: yeah, 2019 felt like
0: that. Why? Actually, it might be my least favorite and it was the biggest one.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Because by this time you're two years in, you would think that, okay, we're finding our rhythm. So what was it about 2019 that you're just like, you know, we might need to just end this. I'm tired.
0: Because 2018 was so lit. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, But I think that 2019, Coupled with the Year of Return, um, a jam-packed uh, yeah. schedule of everything to do in Accra, you know, competing festivals at the same time, which meant, you know, less resources for us with regards to, you know, barricades, ice, water, you know, it just kind of flared up all of the things that, you know, it meant, you know, doing business in Africa, is not easy and not because you can't do business, but because we don't have many. So in America, there's so many different ice vendors I can go to if I don't have one, but in Ghana there may be one or two that can provide me the type of ice that I need to do a party. So if there are four festivals going on at the same time or four parties going on at the same time, the resources just split, right? So those kind of things um, definitely affected us and our ability to kind of make things happen, right? The lack of resources, you know? So. You know as much as i i love what it meant for people that came to ghana during the year return and, and the celebration and what it meant for our festival because we grew we grew another you know another 30 or 40 percent you know in, in 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 growth you know um and you know all the artists that we had on stage i think that was amazing but i think it was just like it was a hard road to get to us being able to do that you know and even after it's still been hard trying to kind of, um, you know, to do that. But, you know, I think that it taught us a lot of lessons that we now know. Um, And and, and it happened to happen right before a pandemic. (laughs) So it was just kind of like, we had so much time to kind of think about 2019 and, and figure out all the holes that we had. And we took feedback, we did surveys, just to kind of, you know, understand how people felt. What was the experience? Like, where are areas that we can improve? After three times, we know that people want to come, but now we just want to make sure that whenever people do spend their hard-earned money to come, that we give them an unforgivable experience, so.
1: 2019's year of return, like, I was in Nigeria at that time, and whether you were in, wherever you were, West Africa, you knew that right now everything was Ghana. Like, it it was buzzing, insanely. but that partnership to position Afrochella within that year and everything that it entailed, whose thought process was that? Was that you? Was that Kenny? The relationships? Because by this time, you're building relationships with government, with um, huge institutions. This is not just a small by-the-by situation. This is a huge thing that is actually affecting the economy of the entire country.
0: Absolutely. Um, so that, that's Kenny's doing. doing. Um, so Kenny... Kenny is, you know, he is our person that does all the partnerships on the ground in crowd, whether it's with governments or different agencies that we need to connect with. And, you know, we knew that we wanted to connect with Ministry of Tourism because at its core, one of our missions is to kind of improve tourism to um, to not just Ghana, but the entire continent. Because uh, people that try, fly, fly to Ghana often say, look, if I'm going to fly 10 hours from, you know, from the US or 12 hours from Asia, I'm going to see something else in Africa. And, you know, and we've seen people go to Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, Morocco, Egypt, you know, and and it's amazing. So yeah, Kenny is uh, responsible for those partnerships um, that we've had with the government. We tried in um, 2017, but the government didn't understand what we were trying to do. Like, you know, I think, I think when we put out the idea we could have probably been a little bit better at the way we communicated it, but like I said, we didn't know who we needed to hire. So at the time, we didn't really have a communications person, so we were just like, "Hey, here's the flyer. This is what we're doing: art, music, culture, fashion. Come out. We're gonna celebrate us." Um, um, so, you know, but when they saw the response that they received in twenty, in, we received in twenty seventeen, in twenty eighteen, they they reached out to us. And then they started getting so many calls from abroad about people wanting to visit ghana for afrochella so it kind of pushed them to kind of talk to us and and a lot of our goals are aligned yeah we do want people to visit ghana we do want to kind of bolster the tourism sector we do kind of want the diaspora to have a different image of africa right we want africans on the continent to be able to tell their own stories through us you know or with our support we want to be able to kind of showcase those and and show the you know the diaspora that we have so many more commonalities than we have differences so it's just kind of like um you know tourism had that same initiative and, and and the rest is history
1: yes all right so here you are with an incredible platform a pandemic hits where's your mind at
0: Oh, man. Um So when we started this, you know, we were big on data. We were big on digital. We had a website. We were the first ones in Ghana with an event to have a website, you know. Um, we were innovative. We were taking mobile money on our website. We were taking card payments. So we thought we were digital. We thought we were digital. Um, but we weren't digital. And that hurt us because all we had was an event on the ground, an in-person event. So we didn't have many digital programs, but also we just didn't have the capacity or funding to kind of have that digital presence as hard as we did, a physical presence. So it was very difficult for us. And also we were beat up from 2019. We were just tired. Like it was a lot of work to kind of make 2019 happen. So we rested, you know, and we rested and reflected on the year. And and then we were able to kind of create some digital events. Like we created our Afrochella talks which was, um, you know, a series where we kind of said, well, what is the point of Afrochella? Well, we want to discuss innovation in food, art, music, and fashion. So why not speak to the creators that are on the ground doing these things? So we did that. Um, so we had talks around food uh, where we had chefs from South Africa. We had, um, we had chefs from, from Ghana. We had um, some artists come on and we did a panel discussion with two amazing artists uh, with, uh, in partnership with Grand Marnier. And I thought that was a really cool um, um, situation that we had. Um, And, you know, we we will be having ones around music as well uh, and a few other cool things that will be coming. But now what we did, what 2020 taught us and the pandemic taught us was that we needed to prepare for anything. We needed to, you know, it was just kind of like in 2017 when I said we had so many blind spots. I don't think anybody anticipated the world shutting down in 2020. But, you know, not having a digital presence was a blind spot for us, right? Um, and now now I think we have that in our back pocket. You know, funding slowed down, obviously, because brands are, you know, they were losing, people were losing their jobs, people were losing their lives, right? So making sure that our staff, you know, everybody in our staff was good, making sure that they can survive with some of our priorities, but also we weren't making money. So it was just kind of a lot of difficult conversations, a lot of, self-reflection a lot of reassessing um but you know thankful to god you know we were able to kind of make it through and the hope is in 20 sorry actually even before the hope i would say in 2020 i think we were able to kind of make something happen so we had a block party in 2020 um i think we planned it in about two and a half weeks um because we went through different proposals Anticipating that you know maybe the pandemic may recede and maybe we might be able to overcome it, so we had different plans. We had a whole virtual plan. We had a um, uh, you know we had a, a a virtual and a physical plan. We had so many different plans of things that we wanted to do to try and see if we can kind of you know overcome what was happening, but you know we couldn't. So we ended up deciding to do a block party. And the block party was free to all the people that could attend. We had COVID testing at the entrance. So when people came in with the test, they could get tested. It was really quick, rapid testing. Um, And we had some performances. We didn't have that many people. It was definitely not, no, it was about less than a thousand people there in total. It was on a major street outside. So there was a lot of social distancing. Um, and we streamed majority of our um, of, the, of the concert to YouTube, Facebook, and uh, around Lana. So we, I, I would say that it was a tough year, but we ended up on a high note um, and we were yeah. able to come through. Yeah.
1: Let's talk about some of the mental aspects of facing a pandemic or a 2019 situation or a 2017 situation, your first one. What do you do to keep yourself mentally
0: strong? Yeah. I think for the first three years, I just kind of was ignoring everything. Like, you know, nothing mattered but making this happen. And I, and in 2019, you know, after 2019, it was just kind of like I was running out of gas. My entire team was running out of gas. We all were just kind of running out of gas. We were just exhausted, um, you know, exhausted from, you know, talking to so many people Um, you know, trying to get commitments, trying to get people to come out, you know, it was just so much that we were trying to deal with. But the the pandemic forced you to kind of sit with your demons, forced you to face and to identify things that were important. Um, So now I kind of have a a different approach to different things, right? You know, how I I do things are completely different. I'm taking better care of myself, encouraging my team to take better care of themselves. Um, We are planning ahead a lot more now. You know, we are... You know, we normally plan at the top of the year. So if Afrocella was December 29th, around the 7th of January, we've already started planning for the next Afrocella. But, you know, it's it's often just kind of, you know, a reassessment of everything that happened, what we can improve on, and just kind of setting the groundworks. But, you know, now we're just kind of more, you know, issues of delegation you know, hiring more staff, you know, identifying areas that we can improve, maybe by optimizations, you know, just trying to figure out ways to make the job easier for people and less um, impeding on their lives and everything that they have to go to. And being for me personally, just kind of managing a full-time job, managing a festival and other things that I have going on. I realized it took a heavy toll on my mental health, but you know, uh, you know, in 2020, I discovered doing small things, for myself that would kind of you know, give me the time to kind of relax and then I could come back and uh, you know, get back to the work that I need to do, which I wasn't doing for the first two years.
1: Yeah, I think the pandemic definitely taught a lot of people to take care of themselves um, yeah. and to slow down because we do have this hustle mentality culture rather that just everyone just wants to keep moving and keep creating and keep doing things.
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah, but the reality is that you have to have a body to be
0: yeah, able to yeah, accomplish that's... those things, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, the pandemic was is... It was like really facing yourself cuz you had to stay home. You couldn't really go out. In New York, New York, we had the heaviest cases, you know, maybe around the world, and it was just kind of like really heavy lockdown, like, you know, in, in New York, I live in an apartment, so it's like I don't have a backyard all I have my window. So it was just it was it was a time for me to self-reflect to fully unpack everything that had been happening for the past Couple of years and, and figuring out a way forward that didn't um, have the type of effect that you know 2019 and the years before it had, and, and trying to make it more enjoyable. Yeah. Because as yeah. it gets bigger, you start you stop enjoying it, right? So after the first one, I remember falling down to my knees and, and just happiness about it being like, wow, we accomplished this, right? But as it get as it gets bigger you, you, you know, it's just about getting it done, right? You lose the joy of enjoying it. You lose the joy of just kind of like, but, you know, seeing my friends enjoy it, seeing people have testimonials about the experience there, seeing people discuss their experiences in Africa are what keep you going, but not necessarily you being at the event yourself as an organizer, very different, weird.
1: Yeah. All right. So to wrap things up, for those who might want to launch a festival, an event, wherever in the world they are, what characteristics would you say are key? Like for example, they say entrepreneurs, the one thing that entrepreneurs all have, successful entrepreneurs, is just that grit, that just consistent attacking the problem. So from your perspective, for somebody who wants to head into a festival, the festival industry, knowing what you know now, what are the characteristics, as a human being that they need to be strength, like, yeah, strengthen themselves on? And then also maybe what are some of the logistical things that maybe you wish you would have found out or learned or somebody would have helped you when you were starting at
0: Grit is very, 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 very important. You have to have a lot of grit. Um, I would say, you know, um, Kobe Bryant is my favorite player. And I recently read a quote about him saying, you know, the reason why he was so ruthless and so confident was because he was so prepared that he knew nothing that he faced would, you know, kind of intimidate him or, you know, distract him from his preparedness. And I think that um, that's one thing that I would encourage all, you know, anyone that wants to do something like this to do, like be prepared, do as much research listen to people connect with people that have done it before ask them questions and don't be you know don't be worried if you're not getting the responses that you want from them just kind of keep going be relentless about your vision and 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 be willing to take criticism and not be defensive about the criticism you know sometimes when we fall in love with something it's hard for us to kind of like see any blind spots or see any issues with it but we need to be um very objective about our ideas and and be open to taking criticism, but also at the same time, trusting yourself. Like you know, sometimes, you know, when you get into a territory of uncertainty or lack of clarity, it may be areas where you have to second guess yourself. But just kind of believing that you know you're doing stuff with a good heart, and you you know you have a good you know intentions in mind, and, and you know you have to you're building a support system that you know that that would advise you and guide you into doing the things that you do. I think all of those things are very, very helpful. Um, yeah. So I think those two things, you know, are, were things that I would say helped me. Um, resilience, um, you know, resourcefulness is very important. I think that a lot of people don't realize the importance of connecting and talking to people and just kind of knowing where to look for things. Sometimes it's it's really just knowing where to look for things um, and, and, and how to put together the things in your know, life. And also just kind of leaning into your direct network. A lot of people love to kind of reach upwards. And and for me, I worked with people that were my peers. You know, Kenny had not thrown a festival before, um, this size before on his own, you know, he's thrown concerts, you know, but you know, I reached out to my peers, people that I actually, you know, went to school with or grew up around and things of that nature. I didn't reach out to anyone, you know, that was established, you know, eventually, I had people in my life that I could reach out to and talk to them, but just kind of tapping into my direct network was another thing that was very helpful for me. You know, I was able to kind of get, you know, input on the deck or input on sponsorship conversations and how to talk to them and things of that nature. So resourcefulness is is very, very important. Um, With logistics, I think that a lot of people get caught up in the final product, um, you know, and the final product is beautiful. (laughs) One of the first companies I ever created was called um, Be Great Foundation, and it was a charity I created alongside a a few people within my fraternal organization, within fraternal sorority organizations in in the U.S., and uh, one of my good friends, her name is Jamila, she was um, the secretary for the group, and she said, Abdul, you have so many big ideas, but sometimes you skip steps in the middle. Uh, This was around 2011, 2011, 2013, she told me this, and, and, and it stuck with me for a very long time, so the idea is kind of knowing where you are, knowing where you want to be and identifying all the steps that you have to identify in between. And, and sometimes it's okay to just be a little bit more meticulous. It doesn't matter how small the detail is. I think that you should jot it down and and then identify you know, um, who can support you in each aspect of it, You know, who you need to talk to or what you need to do to make each aspect happen. And I think once you can lay it out on paper and see start to finish, it's easier for you to kind of see where there are blind spots, where there are holes, where there are things that you need to fill in. And, and I think that, that that is the best way to kind of approach any project that you want to complete because um, once it's written down and it's on paper, you, you you know, it's possible.
1: True. Very true. I mean, having the big ideas, most people who have the big ideas do tend to miss a lot of steps in between. I think that's a commonality for, for visionaries. <laughs> it's a common thing. <laughs> I
0: mean, you know, it's you just—it's easier to just want to get to the final product. Um, yeah. But what I've learned over the over a couple of years was, um, it was tough. You know, and I just told you about how 2019 was so hard for us. But after you get over, you know how hard it was. After you get over how you know tired you are. After you get over how mentally straining it was, you start to appreciate the process because you are still standing. Yeah. You are still standing. You are still standing. You are still stronger. You're stronger from it because now you won't allow yourself to go through all the things that you went through because you're smarter for it. You've learned those lessons. And I think that that's what I've come to fall in love with. The process of kind of creating this, the process of building it, the process of going from start to finish you know before i just wanted to do the finish right so that's why yeah the results yeah yeah Mm -hmm. 2017 i was hyped i fell to my knees after we you know after everybody left the field you know claiming victory but you know it was tougher the years after as it got bigger and um you know i had to understand that y'all abdul look at who you are from 2017 to now and what you've been able to accomplish over those years and look at how much you've grown because of it. And I think that when you fall in love with the process, you just don't have any problems after that. Like, you know, the process is, a lot of people don't love the process because it's hard, but that's the best part of it. That's the part that you will always remember those times with your team, those time with the people that you interact with, like those memories will live with you forever.
1: True. so true. So, post pandemic, Afrachella,
0: we trying to be outside we're we trying to be outside we're we trying to be outside everybody's trying to be outside
1: <laughs> do, you, do you actually think some people some of these events were like shut down like maybe some of the most common events would actually not come back or do you think for example they say The previous pandemic that was that happened, there was the Roaring Twenties. Like after the pandemic, everyone was just outside. It was just a vibe. Like nobody wanted to be indoors anymore. Do you think that's what's gonna happen from this pandemic?
0: People are still outside, and it's a pandemic right now. Like you know, around the world, there's parties everywhere. You know. Where it started in Wuhan, I saw a concert or something like that there, you know. So I do think that people are used to connecting a certain way. They love it. They miss it. Um, and they're looking forward to it. I'm very happy that the vaccines are out and people are kind of, you know, um, you know, getting vaccinated. I got, you know, vaccinated. I, you know, I encourage people to do that as well. And I, And I think that we will get back to a place where people will get back to going to events, going back to parties. I think people are looking forward to it. Um, but I do think that this pandemic will encourage, you know, respectable and thoughtful organizers to be more mindful about the pandemic and and, 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 and the process of keeping people healthy, the process of making sure that when your attendees, you know, you know, come to your event, that they leave as healthy as they arrived. And I think that. That is one thing that we've learned as a company um, and implemented and and have incorporated into our process. And I think that, you know, in a year or two, I think we will see them back. I'm sure a lot of people have taken a lot of financial hits. You know, we're still paying bills throughout the year, but we haven't been able to do a major festival. So I can imagine that some people will lose it, but I'm praying to God that, you know, people are able to overcome it. You know, there are a lot of events that a lot of people have been waiting all their lives to experience and you know, you know, and, and it would be unfair if they didn't get to because the pandemic had stopped the world. So the hope is that, you know, hopefully all of these events come back and, and we we're, we're able to get back to celebrating and enjoying each other's company, culture sharing, um, you know, um, in the way that we are used to at some point in time.
1: And that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I really hope you took away some incredible gems because this conversation was so inspiring to me and I hope it was to you as well. Again, if you had any thoughts, share them with me at moe the A1. Give this podcast a follow. Share it with someone who's been thinking about doing something bigger than themselves. It's possible. It's definitely possible in Africa. And so till next week, keep well. Love ya. Bye.